G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. My older daughter had been born, and this is one of the few times that I've ever heard the audible voice of God. I do remember driving home from her birth. It was about 6.30 in the morning. I know I heard God speak from the back seat of my car saying, Rod, I want you back. I just pulled over to the side of the road and I just howled, cried tears and tears and tears. But I said to God, well, you can have me back, but I'm not going to church. The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Rod St. Hill is known as the business pastor because he leads an outreach to Christians in business. He's also a leader in the global business as mission movement. However, at one point in his life, he was suffering from depression and wanted to have nothing to do with the church. Today, we'll hear how God turns Rod's life around as he shares his story. Rod St. Hill is chatting with Phil Edwards. Rod, sometimes I ask an opening question, which gets an interesting response, and that is, how would your wife describe you? Oh, dear me, I don't know. You'd probably have to ask me. But the one thing I know for sure and certain is my wife loves me because she tells me six or seven times every day. And, uh, you know, her love language, of course, is affirmation. So she's always affirming her love for me. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, Look... She writes the most beautiful things about me in Father's Day cards and, and birthday cards and always gives me gives me a scripture. Yeah. I, I think she probably and, 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 and um look, I guess every husband would want to say this about their wives. I guess she thinks I'm the only man in the world who God ever, you know, put aside for her. Uh she's she's wonderful. We we've had forty years of marriage. We've absolutely had the most wonderful life. I, I would say if I had to describe my marriage and uh, family life, it would be F-U-N. It has been fun right from the start mm. and continues to be such good fun today. Well, you can compare notes with Jeanette when you get home as to if I will. whether she'll, <laughs> she would describe you that way. But, of course, you're married to Jeanette. You've got two adult daughters, uh, a couple of granddaughters. So it gives a bit of a picture of Rod's St Hill. But let's go back to the beginning. You mentioned before that uh, you came from New Zealand to Australia. So were you born in New Zealand? No, no. I spent 12 years uh, in New Zealand. I got my first academic posting at Lincoln University okay. just outside of Christchurch. So where but were you born? I was born in a little town by the name of Kempsey, Did almost you... exactly halfway between Brisbane and Sydney. Yes, mid-north yep. coast of New South Wales. Mid-north coast. Yep. Loved it. Slim, I, dusty country. Exactly. Yes, slim. I, I was always a big fan of Slim Dusty. In fact, some years ago, I won a collection of every single album that he had ever produced. What did you have to do? Sing I just, Slim songs I, I, or something? No, I bought a magazine and there was a competition okay. in the magazine. I filled it in and a few months later, there was a cardboard box full of CDs that arrived on my front door. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. I, as a kid, I used to go to the Slim Dusty concerts. He, he, he'd bring a concert around to the Church of England, the Anglican Church Hall, every couple of years and... I'd save up my pocket money and go, alone, mind you, because none of my family shared my interest in that kind of music. But he used to finish every one of his concerts with a song called Glory Bound Train, and I just loved that song. Mm. And um, I, I think he stopped doing it 
in, in in later years, but certainly in the earlier years, he did. So he was born in a place called Nulla Nulla, which is upriver from uh, from Kempsey. When I was a kid, Kempsey was a dairy town, and uh, but in the nineteen sixties, I was born in nineteen fifty six, by the way, just to date me. Uh, in the nineteen sixties, the New South Wales government and state governments around the country deregulated the dairy industry to some extent. So what that meant was the local dairy farms no longer really had access to the bulk milk market in Sydney. And so the whole area transitioned from primarily dairy to primarily beef. Mm. But uh, when we were kids, it was still legal to um, drink milk more or less directly from from the the cow. And uh, we used to um, travel to a dairy farm not too far from home and get milk straight from the farm. And I can remember every morning my mum used to um, take the cream off the top of the milk. It was a beautiful yellow colour because all the cattle were Jersey and Guernseys mm. with high, high butter fat, of course. And I used to um, drink back then. We still had gallons and pounds, shillings and pence. Um, I used to drink at least a gallon of milk every day. My goodness. <laughs> I used to love it. I still, I still enjoy milk. I still love milk. I still love milk. So it's about, what, four litres or something? Oh, a gallon of milk? I can't, well, there's 560 yeah. milliliters in a pint and there's eight pints in a There you a, go, four litres. It's a, a gallon. So just over four litres. Yeah. That's, that's right. So, yeah, I used to get stuck into the milk, all right. My mum used to complain that I had no room for food. And I wasn't all that fussed on food, actually, but I used to um, – I definitely used to like, like the milk. So I was a great friend of the dairy farmers. But I had a lovely life. Um, I really enjoyed growing up in the bush and when my sister and I were, were young, my dad used to often take us swimming. We used to go to a place called Little Bay mm-hmm. out at Trial Bay and um, swim in the ocean there. It was just fantastic. And uh, my dad used to often take us kids out to give my mum a break. And I can remember we used to sing little operas in the car. I can't remember all that much about them, but my line always seemed to be, pass the salt, please. <laughs> I have no idea what, what opera that might have might have come from. Well, but, if you, uh, if you know, let us know. <laughs> if, you, if that's a familiar opera for you. Yeah, I loved life. Have you ever been a singer, by the way? Um, well, look, I've been a worship leader, but probably because they ran out of um, – Ran out of options. <laughs> um, so I, did, I was at a church in uh, New Zealand. We had a little Baptist church quite close to where we lived, and um, Jeanette and I and the girls, we joined in with that church, and I was a worship leader there. Um, occasionally in my own church now, it becomes a bit of a do-it-yourself service where I don't have uh, a worship team, and so often I'll lead worship You're it. And, uh, and preach and um, do just about everything else, and mm. I usually call that the do-it-yourself Sunday service. Okay, um, But actually... Um, I've actually now got the confidence to to play someone else on screen doing all the worship leading and just join in <laughs> with everybody else. Yeah. So um, I don't do it all that much now, but but I, I love singing and, and and often at home I'll, I'll just sing. And uh, I remember when uh, when my kids were young, they used to say to me, "Dad, Dad, Dad, why do you sing in the kitchen?" And I used to just say, "Well, because there's not enough room to sing and dance in the bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's oh, good. Dear. What was life like growing up for you in terms of uh, a Christian upbringing? With your, were your parents, you know, church-going folks? Were they Christian? Well, that's quite interesting. Actually, both had a Christian background, but I were never really engaged with with the local church. My dad had a lot of disappointment in his life and, and sort of moved right away from the church and, and church affiliations. But uh, back then, the local Anglican church had a what they called Mother's Union, and my mum was mm-hmm. part of that, so that gave her a social outlet. And as um, small children, we were 
you know, dutifully dropped off for Sunday school each uh, Sunday morning. But I remember when I was uh, 13 years of age, might, might have been a little bit older than that, but the, the local Anglican minister invited my brother and I to become servers. Um, I think in the Catholic Church they call them altar boys. Yeah. And, um, you know, through that process, I just fell in love with the Lord. And um, I, I really did. I, 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 uh, I was totally in love with the Lord. I remember a couple of years later when I was about um, 16, my my English teacher and, and her dad were really quite instrumental in me developing my understanding of the Lord. Um, she was actually a migrant from the United Kingdom. Her dad used to write letters and he used to write letters to me. And um, I used to go to church with, with Irene two or three times a week. We used to go Sunday, well, three times on a Sunday and then on a Thursday for communion. Mm. Of course, that wouldn't happen today obviously because of the whole issue of relationships and no teacher would, would risk it, and nor would a parent today. But it was very different back then in a country town. And um, it was such a blessing to me to have her really mentoring me as a very new uh, Christian and as a, as a young Christian. And uh, sadly, she passed away from cancer a few years ago. But I still remember some of the things her dad taught me through through his letters, taught me about tithing in particular. And um, my thoughts often go back to a letter he typed. He was blind, by the way, mm. but he typed a letter and explained the the biblical approach to tithing. I've never forgotten that, and I've been a, a bit a bit of a student of tithing really ever since. I was about sixteen at at, at that point, and. Um, I, I remember the the bishop, the the bishop of um, Grafton, came and visited me mm-hmm. in my home as uh, we were preparing for a um, a confirmation service. He just wanted to go through the order of service and so on. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, and that was when I decided I wanted to become an Anglican bishop. Now I didn't because life took all sorts of turns later on, but he really inspired me mm. to um, you know to some level of leadership with, within the church. It sounds uh, all very fascinating. The uh, as an altar boy, or you said a server, sometimes they're known for getting up to no good. Was there any of that in, no, in your no, experience? Oh no, no, and it never occurred to us to to do that either. Perhaps we were somewhat naive boys, boys <laughs> from the bush. Um, but I, I I felt a great sense of reverence, and I would say this about the mainline denominations. I, I still really do appreciate and understand the reverence within which they hold the, the emblems, say, mm. and their reverential attitude towards God. I think it does demonstrate a reverential fear. Sometimes those of us in the evangelical and Pentecostal circles, which of course I'm, I'm in these days, can kind of overdo the friendship of God thing and turn into something which is a little bit less filled with with awe and and respect and reverential fear mm. than I think it should be. So that was a really good lesson to learn. I think as a, as a as a boy, as a young man, that it really is important that we hold God literally in awe, yeah. and that we actually have a reverential fear for Him, because after all, it is really by His breath that everything exists, and if he chose to withdraw his breath, everything would simply cease to exist. Mm, it's pretty incredible. It is in, it him, is in him that we live and move and have our being. That's right. It's so true. The scriptures tell us. 
You're listening to The Story. Today, Phil Edwards is chatting with Rod St. Hill, who's known as the business pastor, because he leads an outreach to Christians in business in the Gold Coast area. We'll hear more of Rod's story, including his battle with depression, when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Pastor Rod St. Hill sharing his life journey. Rod is known as the business pastor because he leads an outreach to Christians in business. Rod is the senior pastor of Ignite Life Church on the Gold Coast. Now here's more of Rod St. Hill having a chat with Phil Edwards. Uh, born in the country town of Kempsey in New South Wales, grew up as a country lad, uh, came to have a real reverence for God in his teenage years. But then things changed, I understand, Rod. What happened? Well, they did change a little bit. Uh, when I was 16, my family moved from Kempsey to Lake Macquarie near Newcastle, mm-hmm. still in New South Wales, of course. And um, <clears throat> those who understand the Anglican communion will know that there's a slightly different approach in different dioceses. And yeah. the diocese that embraced Kempsey, the diocese of um, it was uh, Grafton. Grafton was what I now understand to be fairly low church, and uh, Newcastle was quite different. It was what they call high church, and so church services were quite a bit different. And I I didn't understand this, mm. and I remember that uh, I I went and met the the local priest, and they in Kempsey they were ministers, but in Newcastle they were priests, and they were referred to as father, which was quite foreign to me. But anyway, the uh, the local priest invited me to become a server there. And um, I remember the first time I was server, I I was an absolute flop I was because I didn't know what to do. And obviously he'd made the assumption that I did. And I, I'd never experienced high church before. So this is more of the sort of bells and smells. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I didn't, I'd never experienced it before. And because my parents couldn't help me understand it, and uh, I gradually drifted away be- because of that. I- I- it was just a foreign experience, and I-, I was too shy to try another church. Especially, I was still in school, of course. And um, mm. then when I left school, I, I started working. I worked full time for for the Commonwealth Bank, and I was um, studying part time. I needed to work full time because my parents weren't quite rich enough to to be able to afford to send me off to university, and they didn't have the same sorts of supports for students that that exist today. So I worked full time, and um, you know I got gradually got kind of caught up in 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 the the cultures that go with the the workaday world, mm. the a little bit of alcohol and smoking cigarettes and that kind of thing, and and going out and. I, I uh, it's shameful I know, but but I know that I drove home from from pubs and and clubs with far too much alcohol in my blood. It's a it's a wonder I didn't drive off the road or have an accident and hurt somebody else. Actually, it's the grace of God. Um, but I did a lot of silly things that a lot of people do in their youth, and I, I just simply don't recommend it. 
and um, I, I still believed in God, but but then I fell into that whole trap of believing, well, okay, at the end of the day, God will weigh up all my good bits and all my bad bits, and the good bits will win out, and so I'm still going to heaven. In the meantime, um, I got married, of course, in 1981, and... Uh, my my brother-in-law and his wife became Christians, and I can remember them visiting us and sitting in our lounge room in Christchurch in about 1985, and uh, challenging us in terms of our faith. And I really just fobbed it all off and said, "Ah, I'm a good person. It's going to be all right." Well, they didn't do much about that except go away and pray in secret, and we had no idea they were praying. <laughs> Towards the end of the 1980s, I, I suffered very, very badly from from depression, and I can remember. The day of my birthday in 1988, I, I spent the whole day in bed with a pillow over my head. I just wanted to shut out the whole world. And I, I started thinking, you know what? I don't deserve to be as sad as this. So the next day I went to see my GP. He immediately put me in touch with a psychiatrist. And uh, to cut a long story short, I had to see him every second day for a period of about six or, or eight months or mm. so. I was on medication, but that gave me a bit of a window. Um, and... Uh, in the meantime, my older daughter had been born, and this is one of the few times that I've ever heard the audible voice of God. I do remember driving home from her birth. It was about 6.30 in the morning. I know I heard God speak from the back seat of my car saying, Rod, I want you back. Wow. I just pulled over to the side of the road and I just howled, cried tears and tears and tears. But I said to God, well, you can have me back, but I'm not going to church. And uh, for a couple of years after that, my wife and I used to sit up in bed drinking sherry, reading the Bible at (laughs) night. (laughs) And um, it was a little while later, after that bout with depression, a friend of mine invited me to come along to church, which I did in April of 1989. And that's when I had that experience of just standing up and and worshipping and having that sensation. Mm. But all of that bad stuff in my life, it was just exiting my body. It was going out into the atmosphere. My wife thought I'd gone stark raving mad. She came to the church the next week to see what was going on, and she had, if you like, her born again again experience then, as well. And since since that that day, there's been no turning back, no turning back. And and, and I, I would have to say that the goodness of God has been my experience and is my testimony day after day after day. I still struggle at times with with depression. Um, the secret for me is not to get too tired. Um, I have a tendency to say yes whenever anybody asks me to do something. Yep. And there are periods when I do get too tired. That's when I am prone to depression. So I, I always need to, to rebalance during those times. And I'm actually going through one of those experiences now where I've had to politely say to people no and explain, look, I believe these are the assignments that God has given to me specifically, and I just can't move outside those boundaries. So that's really important for me. It is very important for me that I know my limit and that I don't allow myself to become too tired. Mm. Now, something else you mentioned before was that uh, you and your lovely wife, Jeanette, married in 1981. So if I do the maths correctly, that's 40 years this year. Yes, that's 40 years. We've had a few ups and downs, but it's been great fun. You know, I've loved being married to Jeanette. We had two wonderful daughters, and, and, and honestly, I can say to parents, forget what the books say, forget what all your friends say. Your children don't have to go through stages. They don't have to go through periods of rebellion and all that kind of thing because our girls didn't. And uh, I can honestly say we've had the most wonderful times together as family. They both married thoroughly godly men, 
And uh, Jeanette and I would have liked to have had more children, actually, but there are issues with her pregnancies, and we decided that it would be wise to to stop after we had two. But then we we gained two beautiful sons as well. So mm-hmm. you know, we our sons they're just sons to us; they're not sons in law. So we've been hugely blessed um, through through our daughters and and our sons. And uh, now we have two granddaughters. Sadly, they're living in America, <laughs> but um, praise God, you know, we, we, we'll see them before too much longer. Yeah. So family life has been great for us and um, just to watch our children grow and to see them come to terms with their own faith. You know, they struggled through that, my younger daughter in particular. I really honour my, my children for the way in which they came to that point where they said, it's not good enough just to inherit the faith of our parents. We want to know if this is for real. And they both, in their own ways, went through that process of coming to the conclusion that Christianity is real, that God is real, that Jesus Christ really did live and he really did die for our sins and he reconciled us with uh, with our Lord. And they're going strong in their own churches. They're engaged in their own uh, local churches as are, are their husbands. And look, to be perfectly honest, I actually look to my own children now as role models mm-hmm. for me wow. as I negotiate the challenges of life. And and what a wonderful position to be in. And, you know, Jeanette, my wife and I, we often say to the Lord, we're so grateful for the decisions, the choices that they have made. And, you know, we don't claim much credit at all, except we just did our best to be guided by the Word of God and to be guided by other wise and mature Christians in terms of the way in which we related to our children as we brought them up. But honestly, really, all our gratitude belongs to God and to them for making good choices. Mm, That's good. There's a lot that we haven't had time to explore through your lifetime. You mentioned before your kind of happy place being a little introverted uh, and also very academically inclined, locking yourself away and doing lots of reading, writing, research and all of that kind of thing. That's led you to uh, do quite a lot of work. I understand you've published over 40 papers uh, and supervised uh, a whole lot of uh, theses, research theses, and and lots of other things, directorships in non-for-profits and for-profit organisations, mentoring business people. What, what drives you with all of that? <laughs> Do you know, to be perfectly honest, I, I've prayed about this and, and reflected on it. Well, actually, to be perfectly honest, of course, should be the posture we always take as Christians anyway. But do you know, a lot of that, I think, was a search for significance. Mm. And I'm 64 now, and the honest truth is I'm really only just beginning to understand what it actually means to have your identity determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, you know, I, I know that in the past... I've got involved in a lot of things searching for significance, you know, really searching for the recognition of man. But now as I'm in my, I guess, my seventh decade, aren't I? Um, <laughs> makes me sound we won't old. talk about that. But, but I, I think I've really come to understand that, that searching for significance is nothing more than building relationship with Jesus Christ and that what we really need to do is to discover the assignment that God has for us and I know that my assignment has to do with teaching people about biblical principles of business. And that's why I'm pretty much settled now in my work with the businesses mission movement and also with Kingdom Investors. Both are global movements and both of them are thoroughly committed to individual and community transformation through business. Um, 
the organisation's a bit different in, in, in some ways, but I really believe that that's God's assignment for me now. And part of the reason why we established Ignite Life Church in the first place was really to to provide, if you like, that that platform for a ministry into business. It's not about growing my own church, but it's actually about growing that part of the body of Christ where there are business people out there in the marketplace who are ready, willing, and who are available for God to use for this wonderful role of, of, of um, being used as his agents in transformation. Mm. So that's what I focus on. I preach a lot on those kinds of topics, the, the value of work to God, the value of the marketplace to God, the role of business in the kingdom of God. That's really what I'm focusing on these days. And so I'm really saying no to a lot of other things. I, I, I'm still on a couple of not-for-profit boards, mainly for personal reasons. I, I feel a, a strong connection with the people involved and a, a connection to the ministries there. The, the, the boards that I'm involved in today are both Christian schools. And of course, uh, being an academic, I've got an interest in Christian education at all levels right through to university. That was Phil Edwards having a chat with Rod St. Hill, who's the senior pastor of Ignite Life Church on the Gold Coast. But that's not Rod's only role. As we've mentioned earlier, Rod is also known as the business pastor because he leads an outreach to Christians in business. Rod is a leader in the global business as mission movement. And Pastor Rod is convinced that the local church and businesses are intended by God to partner in fulfilling the Great Commission. He's also a member of the Council for Business and Theology and travels extensively to spread the good news about missional business. To find out more, about Pastor Rod St. Hill. His church website is ignitelifechurch.com forward slash Gold Coast. Once again, that's ignitelifechurch.com slash Gold Coast. And today, appropriately, we'll end with the Bible verse that states the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28 verse 19, which says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And it's great to hear how Pastor Rod St. Hill is using an outreach to businesses to help make disciples of all nations. Well, thanks for joining us for Rod's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.